Well, Father, today as we look at your word, may we understand really what that means, that you have gone to the farthest reaches that you can to reach man, that in the midst of what they face, what we go through each and every day, God, that you are pursuing us in a relationship. And God, sometimes when we look at other people in life, we may feel like they don't deserve your love and your grace and your mercy, but God, we can realize that there is no mountain you will not climb. There is no shadow that you will not lighten up with your light and with your goodness. And so God, may we understand that as we dig into your word, as we look at Jonah and we look at the story and we look at ourselves through the story, may we realize that you relentlessly pursue us in a relationship with us through your son. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to Jonah. For those of you who don't know, Jonah is a very small book. It's a minor prophet. A minor prophet does not mean that the story or the message is not important. It just means it's a smaller book of prophets in the Old Testament. If you, have, uh, if you know anything about it, you have Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and then we're in the New Testament. All of those books are fairly short. All of them carry a message that we have to begin to understand. And uh, how many of you remember Paul Harvey? You remember Paul Harvey? Matter of fact, for those of you who don't remember Paul Harvey, back in the day, Paul Harvey would come on the radio and he would have this legendary radio voice. I always wish I could speak like Paul Harvey because everybody, I think, loved to listen to Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey would have this thing called the rest of the story. And Paul Harvey would always have a story that he started with, and then he would end it with something that you never expected at times, and he would say, and that's the rest of the story, and now you know, and then he would sign off, Paul Harvey, good day, and he would have that good day, you know, that that inflection in his voice that always... Uh, meant something. And I, I remember listening to it. And I don't remember a lot of Paul Harvey of the stories. I could have looked up some, but it, that really doesn't have any bearing on this other than this. I wanna, want you to think about this because when we get to Jonah, everybody seems to know Jonah based on one thing. Yeah, the whale. We, we got this whale mentality, this fish mentality, and that's all we think about Jonah. We're like, Jonah, fish, And a lot of people miss out on the rest of the story. They realize or they don't realize the whole story that goes in on what's going on. So when we talk about Jonah, we think about the whale. And we're going to get to the whale, just not today. We're going to talk about the whale. But I want you to understand that the whale is not necessarily the main point of the story. There's a bigger story going on here. There's the rest of the story that we have to begin to look at. and, And I believe it's a fascinating look. The book of Jonah is a fascinating look into the life of a man who refused, listen to me, refused to do what God called him to do. Not just refused, he said, no, heck no, and went the whole opposite way. He's like, you want me to go there? No way, I'm going over here. All right, so this is a a story about a man, a prophet who refused, and you have to think about this, is a prophet, a person that God had called to go and present a message to a group of people, and he goes the complete opposite direction. Not something you oftentimes would say, hey, that's the guy I'm going to follow, right? Like, I mean, if you were to hire a pastor and a pastor was to say, hey, guess what? When you hire me, we're going to go the complete opposite direction than what God wants us to do. What would you do? 
do I never hire you in the first place, right? <laughs> I mean, or he's going to be fired. It's, it's, it's a story that we have to begin to see that is something, though, that we need to look at ourselves through, all right? We need to look at through a mirror, looking at Jonah and putting it up as a mirror towards ourselves, because this is a story that we have to begin to understand uh, is all about God's patience. It's all about God's willingness to forgive those who... Those who <clears throat> excuse me, and a willingness to forgive those who stop running from his will and plan for their life and choose to embrace it, all right? God has a heart and a desire for all nations and all peoples. As a matter of fact, we looked about that, we looked at that over the last couple weeks when we talked about being vigilant, being prepared for God's second coming, knowing that we want to be about God's uh, business, be about God's mission. We want to be on purpose, on plan. We want to be ready and prepared for everything that he has to do. And so as we move forward with that, I want you to think about everything that goes on in that because here's the big picture. There is a rest of the story. And in Jonah, we are going to see that there is something greater that God has in store. So if you have your Bibles, Jonah chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through verse 16. Now, before you go, hey, wait a second, you didn't read all of chapter 1. There's a reason, and I'm going to explain that next week, because next week is when we're going to get into verse 17, all right? But Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and this is what it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach what? Against it. Preach judgment against it or preach against it, some of your Bibles may say, because it is, or because its wickedness has come up before me. So here's what Jonah's told to do. What is he told to do? Hey, you're a wicked city. Hey, you're doing things that are against the God. I want you to go and preach judgment against the city. And everybody went, wait, what? You want me to go and preach judgment? And that's the reality of what goes on a lot of times. But listen to verse 3, what happens. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. He ran away and headed for Tarshish, and he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard, and he sailed for Tarshish. And again, this is the second time in one verse it says to do this, not just to run away, but to flee from the Lord. So Jonah is not just disobeying what God has called him to do. He's like, no, heck no, I'm getting out of here. Maybe if I go some distance away, you'll leave me alone, and you'll never ask me to do it again. So he's running from everything that God wanted him to do. And then in verse 4, it says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. And I love this verse. This is kind of one of those odd verses. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God, and maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and it fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do and where do you come from and what is your country and from what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. 
Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So here's really what I want to dive into, jump into, and understand when we see the rest of the story. This is just the beginning of a story that shows really a man who has a hardened heart towards people, specifically the people God has called him to. And I think that's something that we have to understand, we have to be encouraged by, because we need to understand that God has a soft heart, is slow in coming back, He is compassionate to those who have no relationship with Him, and yet regardless of how you may feel about an individual or a group of people, that God still has a desire to reach them. And so what we begin to see is that in Jonah chapter 1, we see Jonah running from God's mission. And my question today would honestly be this. How many of us in church today run from God's mission? How many of us have run maybe in the past from what God has called you to do to say, no, I'm not going to go do that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go the other direction. And so you have to begin to look at Jonah as a mirror to yourself to say, am I being obedient or have I been disobedient in what God has called me to do? What is God calling me to do? Because I believe that there's a hopeful outcome for all of us in this life, but we have to understand, we have to see that it's God's relentless pursuit of man for salvation regardless of their past. And so we're going to dig in today, and we're going to see really God's pursuit of man, and we're going to see really man's hardened heart towards what God has called him to do. So here's the big kicker. Here's the key point, the key statement. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that disobedience to God's call can lead to God-sized storms in our life. Now, I misspelled that. It's not leads, can leads. It's can lead, all right? Disobedience to God's call can lead to God-sized storms in our life. Do you get that picture? Anytime we walk in disobedience, we could suffer the consequences of the storms that God's going to send into our life as a result of us saying, you know what, God, I don't need you. I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. I'm going to go the opposite direction. And as a result, God may send a storm into your life to get you to where you're supposed to be. Matter of fact, I look at the life that we've had as a married couple, and I look at the situations we've been through on certain things, and I know exactly what happened. And it wasn't necessarily what I felt was a time of disobedience, but God used storms in our lives to get us into a position to be where he wanted us to be, to accomplish his purpose and his goals. And I've said this before, if you've been here at our church for any sort of time now, if we had not had the situation happen in our church in Springfield, we most likely would not have ended up here. And so God used a storm in our life to get us where he wanted us to be because God had a greater purpose and a plan than I could ever envision at the time. And so when we begin to look at that, we begin to see this. Disobedience to God's call can lead to God-sized storms in our lives. And that's what we're going to see with Jonah here in Jonah chapter 1. So here's, I've got four takeaways, four things I want you to look at. I don't have a question to necessarily ask. 
But I want you to see these four takeaways that I believe that we see in the book of Jonah right here in chapter one. Number one is this, that God's compassion is still greater than our obedience. God's compassion for people is always greater than our obedience, all right? God has a desire to see people come to faith in Christ. That's why he went to the extent he did with sending Jesus to die on the cross. God says, I have a compassion for you that supersedes, that is overwhelming and is greater than any of the obedience you could ever have. As a matter of fact, I would even say it this way, that in the midst of being obedient, as we're obedient, we see more and more of God's grace and God's mercy and God's compassion, but your obedience can never supersede or overtake God's compassion for everybody else because God loves them more than you ever will. Even in the midst of the love that you may have to grow towards another person as God grows in you, right? God still loves them more. God went to the, the greatest extent to reach them. God went to the furthest point. He said, I did everything for him. I've done it. I'm willing. I'm waiting. I'm patient. I want them to know who I am. And so we have to begin to understand that God's compassion is greater than our obedience. And it's even greater than our disobedience, obviously. Listen to what happens. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. What is Jonah called to do? To go and preach against a city that's been wicked. Jonah, you need to go and do this. Why? Because their wickedness is going to lead to their downfall. But I am a God of grace, I'm a God of mercy, I'm a God of compassion, I'm giving him a chance to respond, I need you to go and preach to the city. You've got to preach that if they don't repent, if they don't confess, if they don't come to faith in me, guess what's going to happen? They're going to face the judgment that's going to come. They're going to face this sense of separation. They're going to face eternity away from God. And that's what he said. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go and preach against the great city and preach against it. Because its, wisdom, or its, its, its wickedness has come up before me. And so literally, that's what we see. Jonah was commissioned to preach the message of judgment and warning because of their wickedness. Listen, this is no different than really what we do in when we're supposed to present the gospel to people, right? As a result of our sin, we are separated from God. And so when we talk about that, look, there's lots of people who think they're good. Matter of fact, some people go to church and think that's all they need. But the question is, do you have faith in Christ? Do you put your, have you put your faith in Christ? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Do you believe he rose again? That's the big question because God's compassion is greater than our obedience. God's compassion or God's wisdom is what the world looks at according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and says, well, that's stupid. That's foolish. Jesus' death on the cross according to the world is foolishness and what God says is that's my wisdom. The compassion I have for people was played out on the cross. That Jesus' sacrifice would be the final sacrifice once for all for everybody to be able to come to repentance in Christ. And listen, here's the big kicker, and this is the thing that we have to understand. That God's compassion, all right, is so great that Jonah looks at it and says, I want nothing to do with it. Can you imagine that? And here's the reason why. Nineveh as a city was brutal. Matter of fact, Nineveh would be modern-day Iraq, for those of you who don't know anything about it. Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq. 
You have Iraq and Syria there, all right? The Assyrians back then, if you remember or know anything about history, the Assyrians came in and conquered the northern kingdom, wiped out the, tw- the ten, 10 of the 12 tribes, took over Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, and put everybody into captivity, and the northern kingdom never existed again. You have to understand that. And on top of that, the Assyrians were brutal. Matter of fact, as I was studying this, I want you to understand exactly what went on. They mutilated and massacred their enemies. They were a brutal enemy. The prisoners, they would mutilate, they would dismember, they would decapitate, and they would burn alive. Does that remind you of anything recently? ISIS, the last three to five years. They would decapitate, dismember, and burn people alive. Why? Because they were just against the Assyrians. You stood up against us, we're going to do this. So listen, here's what's going on. We kind of talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. Here's what God did to Jonah. Hey, Jonah, I know you're an Israelite. I know you're Hebrew. I know you're following me. But guess what? I want you to go to ISIS, and I want you to preach against it. Anybody want to volunteer? (laughs) If God showed up tonight and said, Chris, I want you to go over to ISIS, and you're going to preach judgment against it. Who's the first one to go? All right. Because here's what everybody's going to do. No. Not only no, but heck no. You want me to go over to Iraq, Syria, and you want me to preach against the people who have dismembered, beheaded, and burned people alive, and they're going to come and follow you. That, in a modern-day setting, is really what God is asking Jonah to do. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and you're going to preach against it. Why? Because their wickedness has risen up before me. So now think about this. Put yourself in Jonah's shoes. Put yourself in Jonah's situation. Do I really want to go to Nineveh? And there's a reason why I believe Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, and it's not just because they're violent. I think there's a greater reason. Jonah, in reality, is really a racist. He's a bigot. He knows that if he goes there and preaches, these people have a chance to repent. They're going to have a chance for grace. And they'll look, if God's calling me to go, that means some people are going to most likely turn and follow him. And Jonah's like, I don't want him to. Matter of fact, you can go and look it up. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. And we're going to jump in there and we're going to look at it later. But listen to what Jonah chapter two, uh, 4 verse 2 says this. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Listen to what Jonah's saying. I didn't want to go to Tarshish because I knew you were a God of grace and mercy. And I didn't want them to experience the grace and mercy. You hear how arrogant that sounds? Hear how prideful that sounds? Hear how racist it sounds in reality? You see the, the, the mentality that has crept into Jonah's mindset? I knew you were going to be a God of grace and mercy, and I didn't want them to come to you. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? But how often, especially as Americans, do we sit in our church and go, I'd rather not go to those people because they just don't deserve it. Do you understand the type of people they are? And God the whole time is going, yeah, I do. Does does that make it kind of come to life a little bit? I hope it does because that's where, or in reality, where we're at as, as nations or as a people, as churches oftentimes, is that we'll look at people and go, man, 
No way. Those people don't deserve it. Those people, I mean, they're brutal. They're treacherous. They're rash. I mean, they, they dismember and decapitate and burn people alive, and you're, you're wanting to, to forgive them? No way. I don't want to do it. Listen, God's compassion is always greater than our obedience. <clears throat> Why? Because God died. When he sent Jesus to die on the cross, he died for everybody. It's the result of putting my faith and trust in Christ. As the Holy Spirit is calling me, as the Holy Spirit is pulling on me, tugging on my heart, when I put my faith and trust in Christ, I'm saved. But listen, God died for them all. So he has a great heart of compassion. And he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. That's number one. So God's compassion is greater than our obedience. Number two is this. This is takeaway number two. We can run in the opposite direction. And it happens a lot of times. It happens in your life probably on a daily, maybe a weekly basis. Where there's times where God may be asking you to do something. Maybe it's with a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe God's told you that you need to talk to a friend. Maybe, and what do we do? No, I'm busy. I got I to gotta walk. I'm going to go this way. Matter of fact, I've got a slide. Pop that next slide up there, Pat. I want you to see the difference, okay? It says, first of all, that Jonah went down to Joppa, which means he went opposite of where he's supposed to go because it would be up and over to go to Nineveh. Jonah goes down to Joppa, buys a ticket, and boards a boat for where? Tarshish. Jonah really, in reality, was going to the farthest point at the time that he could get away from that area. He's not just saying, no, heck no, God. He's saying, I'm not even going to be in the vicinity of it. It would be like God coming to Kansas City, telling you to go to Chicago, preach against the city of Chicago, and you going, nope, I'm going to San Diego. It's nicer out there. It's on the coast. I don't have to deal with those people. It's you see the picture of what's going on. Jonah didn't just run. He was like trying to get out and away from any sort of responsibility of going to the people of Nineveh. And as we begin to dig in, he didn't just run a small ways away. He was attempting to run a large ways away. And so when a person runs from God, listen, listen, and this is the thing I think we need to see. When a person runs from God, all we're doing is running away from the source of wisdom and truth. We're running away from the source who gives us power and life. We're running away from the opportunity to do something for God because God is going to empower us to do it. Remember the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Matter of fact, jump back to Psalm 139 because we just read it earlier and listen to what he says. I love this when I was in the Navy. This was one of my favorite verses. Where can I go from your spirit? When we're across the ocean, we're floating out in the middle of nowhere. All I knew is where we were at based on a lat long. You know, we're just in the middle of the, the ocean. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Here's the point that Jonah had to understand. Jonah had to understand that wherever he went, God would still know where he was at, and all he was doing was being disobedient. God knows where you are at. God knows what you are doing, and God is calling you to be something greater, to do something great, to be obedient to what he has called you to do. And listen, again, 
we can run in the opposite direction. And I believe it's one of those things that we oftentimes do in our lives. Because God may lead you a certain direction. He may call you to do a certain thing. He may want you to talk to somebody. He may want you to present the gospel to somebody you're working with. He may want you to love on or take care of somebody who's needy or poor. And a lot of times, we just walk away. Go the opposite direction. You ever feel that guilt? Like you're starting to see somebody and you're like, I'm going to divert. Matter of fact, I might go the opposite way. You see something coming up. And you divert and you go the opposite way. Listen, Jonah is exactly what's going on. Listen to what it says in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the ferry, he went aboard, sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Remember, he's fleeing. He's running. He's getting away. And not only that, he paid for it. He didn't just walk away. He's like, I'm going to pay to get the heck away from God. Now, is this a prophet you want to follow? No. No. But it's a prophet we can learn from, and it's a prophet that God still uses. And, and even in the midst of the storms that go on, God uses Jonah to do something even greater. And I think that's the thing that we're going to see as we do that. But running from God is an easy thing to do. It's very easy to do. I can run from God all I want, but you can't escape the presence of the Lord. And that's the thing we begin to understand. So it takes a long... It t- it, look, Do you realize that it takes God longer to get Jonah where he wants to be than it does God to reach the city? You ever thought about that? It may take God longer to get you where he wants you to be than it does to reach your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. It took God longer to get Jonah to where he needed to be than it did to reach the city. That's a huge learning lesson. Obedience to God, I believe, always leads to success in our life. The question is, how long are you going to be disobedient and miss out on what God wants to do when God says, look, it's going to take me longer to get you to where I need you to be than it is for me to do what I want to do through you. We can run in the opposite direction all you want, and God's going to let you run. He's going to let you run. And number three, he's probably going to send a storm in your life. See, storms in our lives can be caused by our disobedience. And I'm not saying every storm. Sometimes storms are just storms. It's life. But I believe that sometimes God causes storms to rise up to get us where we're supposed to be. Verse four, it says, then the Lord sent a great wind. The idea is a wind that is unimaginable. Now, listen, as one being out in the ocean on an aircraft carrier... When we hit storms, I mean, like, we felt it, but nothing like Lauren felt when he was on a minesweeper, or nothing like the dudes on Deadliest Catch, when I'm watching Deadliest Catch, and these guys are on a 100-foot boat, and they're talking about 45-foot swells, and I'm like, no, heck no. I mean, I can't imagine. I was on a 1,000-foot ship, 18 stories high from the top floor to the very bottom, 18 stories floating on water. We would hit 40-foot swells, and the waves would be coming over the bow of the ship, and you could feel it. But I could not imagine being on a 100-foot boat in the middle of the Bering Sea with 95 to 120 knot winds and 40-foot swells, because I'd be puking my guts out. I'd be asked to get thrown into the ocean. Just throw me in, dude. I'd be over. 
Listen, this storm is a supernatural storm. It's not something small. As a matter of fact, the whole time I was in the Persian Gulf, we floated around for three months in the Persian Gulf. I mean, if you got five-foot waves, it was like, that was huge in the Persian Gulf. It was flat. I got pictures that I took where it looks like you're just on clear glass, smooth water. And these guys are in the middle of the Mediterranean in a storm. And listen, the boat's about to break up. I remember going fishing with my uncle and my grandpa when we were up in Montana, when they lived up in Montana. And my grandpa had like a, a, a little boat. And this lake, Flathead Lake, it's up near Pulse of Montana. It's 13 miles uh, wide, 27 miles long, huge lake. And we went out one morning, and the waves, I mean, they're probably like, what, four or five feet. But you're on this little boat. What's four or five feet? All right? Well, then my uncle pulls into this cove, throws out the anchor. He's like, hey, we're going to fish right here. Well, the boat kicks sideways, and now we're doing this. So we ate biscuits and gravy. Scrambled eggs, bacon, sausage. I'll just say it never made it to lunch. This boat is breaking apart. The sailors are freaking out. Experienced sailors are going crazy. And listen to what happens. All the sailors were afraid, and they cried out to their own God, and they threw the cargo into sea, and they, they're trying to lighten the ship. Why? Because the boat is breaking apart. But listen to what happens. Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into deep sleep. Here's my question I want to ask you, because a lot of times when we're going through the storm, we're oblivious to what it's doing to everybody else around us. When I'm a person who's stuck in an addiction, I may think everything's okay, but everybody else is suffering the consequences of the addiction that I have going on. See, storms in our lives can be caused by our disobedience, but storms in our lives are not just on us. They may be on everybody else around us. And that's exactly what happens, that God raises up this storm to get Jonah to where he's at. But guess who has to also experience the storm with him? The sailors, and in the midst of the storm, God shows up because, listen, those sailors end up coming and believing in God, the God that created everything. And that's the big thing we have to see. See, the ship was threatened to break up. The sailors were thinking, this is it. We're done. It's over. A matter of fact, if you look, remember, Jonah gone and gone down and gone to sleep. The captain went to him and was like, dude, how are you sleeping? There is no way in your right mind you could be asleep. I mean, and I'm just thinking about this, all right? Storms hit a ship. The ship's about to break apart, and you're asleep. Anybody ever have that guy, like a narcoleptic, narcolepsy, right? When you go to sleep, nowhere, or just anywhere? That's what I'm thinking. Like, Jonah's, like, completely oblivious to what all God is trying to do to get a hold of him. Jonah's like, man, and go to bed. Listen. Storms in our lives can be caused by our disobedience, and as a result, everybody else could suffer around us. But what I love is what happens next, because God is master over all creation. He controls the waves. He controls the wind. We can see the effects of the wind, but we can't see the wind. The wind prevents the boat from going any farther. Listen to what it says. The sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out what's going on. So they cast these lots, and they realize it's Jonah. So they're praying to their gods. They cast these lots. It's all pointing to Jonah. Jonah, you're the problem. Jonah, who are you? What's Jonah say? I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the one who created everything, the wind and the waves. And automatically they're like, what did you do? 
Are you kidding me? What, what, why are we suffering the consequence? What did you do? And Jonah just tells him. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the seas and the land. And I was running away from the Lord because he'd already, and they terrified them. And they said, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. Listen, here's one of the things I think we begin to see is that when we run from what God is calling us to do, others suffer the consequences. But you're going to suffer them as well. And what we see big picture wise in Jonah is this, that God uses the circumstances and situations that Jonah has put himself into to also show his greatness, his goodness, and his mercy to other people in the midst of what's going on. So in the midst of the storm, in the midst of Jonah's disobedience, and listen to me, I'm not condoning disobedience at all. God will use your disobedience to let other people see his goodness and grace. At the same time, maybe punishing you. And I hope you see that. Because when you walk in disobedience to God, God's going to let you walk in disobedience, but God's going to get control of you. He's going to show you something. He may send a storm on your life to get you back into correction. Listen, God disciplines those he loves. That's what the Bible says. And so when I receive discipline, it's God's way of showing me that he loves me and he wants to correct me. But in the midst of my discipline, somebody else may come to faith as a result of that. And that's exactly what we see through Jonah. See, these men over and over and over again continued to try. Because listen, it says the sea was getting rougher and rougher. Now imagine, the ship is already threatening to break up. The sea is getting rougher and rougher and worse and worse. And I can only think about how bad it is. Small boat. I mean, you know, we're talking about a 100-foot boat on deadliest catch. When I was in the Middle East and stuff, the average boat we saw was usually about 45 or 50 feet. And I'm going to guess that this would be the same situation or setting. Probably not a large boat. It's not something maybe that you even had the ability to go down deep inside. It might just be one level. So this boat is coming apart, and it's getting worse. And listen to what happens. Listen to what the guys continue to do. These sailors continue to fight. They ask him, what, what do we got to do to make this calm down? And Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it, will be, and it will become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And listen to what the, the guys did. It shows in some way, shape, or form there's a moral aspect that they have, even though they don't know God. But listen, there's still something they have to come to understand. It says, instead, the men did the best they could to row back to land. They made every effort to make sure that they didn't have to throw Jonah overboard. And listen, every effort they gave went nowhere. Why? Because God was in the storm. God sent the storm. God was using it to get Jonah where he wanted to be. And God was not allowing them to see any progress through the storm because God had a bigger picture, a bigger purpose. So no matter how hard these, these sailors worked at rowing, over and over and over, they were making no progress. They were getting nowhere. They could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Listen to that, all right? It was getting rougher and rougher. Now it says that these guys start rowing, and now it's getting wilder and worse than ever before. And it says they cried out to the Lord. What did they cry out to the Lord for? Don't hold us accountable for this man's disobedience. And what I find ironic is this. They say an innocent man. 
Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. You hear what they're saying? They're crying out. They think they're going to be killing an innocent man when in all reality they're killing a person who's disobedient. At least they think they are. And I can't imagine what this would look like, thinking about this big story, but listen to this. At this, or sorry, then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. You imagine right now what would happen? You're out on the ocean, storms raging, all you got to do is throw this one guy overboard, you pick him up, you throw him overboard, and it's instantly calm. Why? Because the storm was about who? Jonah. God sent the storm because Jonah was being disobedient. And the minute Jonah suffers the consequences, which he thinks are death, God stills the storm. And there's something even greater that happens. This is number four. That God is seen for who he is and will be worshipped. Because listen to what happens. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, I was listening to one particular pastor on this sermon. And he, he made the comment that when you get to heaven, you'll be able to ask these guys what it was like when they threw Jonah overboard. Because the reality is what we're seeing here is that this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him was this idea that they were committing their life to him. Why? Because in the midst of the creation responding to the creator, they saw the goodness of God, they saw the grace of God, and they responded to God as their creator, as their Lord, as their master, and they made a vow to him. And that's really how that first part of the story ends. Now, we see later on what happens with Jonah, but I'm not going to get there because I think it's something that we got to look at with the next chapter because Jonah is taken care of by the Lord. In the midst of what the men thought was death, God provides salvation. And so the men, as we look at it, begin to worship the Lord because of what the Lord had done. Listen, in verse 5, they cried out to their gods. They threw over the cargo. This time, they sacrificed and they made vows. Before they were crying out to their gods, now they're crying out to the God. Before they were trying to get rid of the cargo, now they're trying to make a vow with God. They're trying to make a right way. They're trying to acknowledge their belief in Him. And through that, through the storm, God brings glory to His name. God shows his goodness and his greatness. So listen, in the midst of Jonah's disobedience, what does God do to the sailors? He saves them. In the midst of Jonah's disobedience, Jonah is saved. And in the midst of Jonah's disobedience, God later saves the city. So listen, I'm not encouraging disobedience at all whatsoever. What I'm asking you to do is to look at the book of Jonah as a mirror to ask you this question. Am I being disobedient? Because I believe we fall into one of three categories for the most part when we talk about the book of Jonah. And I want to ask you that question. What role do you play in the story? Are you Jonah running from God? Are you the sailors who were religious? You had some sort of religious moral belief, but you're not worshiping the one true God. Or maybe you're the Ninevite who has a checkered past. Who has run from God, who has brought up wicked things. Maybe your past is full of wickedness and 
And maybe you're even still dealing with godless activities, aggression and hatred, brutality, murder, whatever you want to talk about. But I would say in some way, shape, or form, we fit into one of those three. As I ask that question, do you understand God's relentless pursuit for man? Because listen, church, and I think this is the big thing we have. If you're a believer and you follow Christ, you put your faith and trust in Christ, we have to understand the vitality and the importance that God places on his mission to see people come to faith in Christ. And you have a choice. We can run from it or we can walk obediently under the power and strength that God gives us to see people come to saving grace, to saving faith in, in, in the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the story of Jonah. I thank you for the reality that we see, the truth that we see. And a lot of people will even doubt um, the truth of a whale eventually providing salvation for Jonah. But God, we know that the story of Jonah is bigger than we even begin to see. We can see the rest of the story played out. And we can see that in the midst of disobedience, that God is going to do his work. He's going to work in a great way. And we can work in obedience, following what you've done it, or we can work and suffer to con- actually suffer the consequences of our disobedience and you're still gonna work through that. And so God, I pray that we'd be people who'd be obedient, we'd be passionately following you. And no matter the cost, we would stand on the truth of the gospel, we would take the message of salvation through Jesus Christ to those we know. And God, I pray that in the midst of that, that we would see your goodness, your greatness, your compassion and your mercy and that others would experience it through that. So God, as we close with this song, would you have your way? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we're singing, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, we always offer this opportunity. You can do it right where you're at, but what we always challenge you to do is to make it public, to let somebody know. You can do that here. You can come up and you can talk to me while we're singing, or you can wait at the end. You can come and talk to me afterwards. We always want to make it public, and we believe the public thing is through baptism. But listen to me, don't hesitate now. Don't hesitate to follow what God's calling you to do. But that you would respond to God in obedience.